0: Welcome to the Planet Podcast. This is episode 24, and today we have Natalie Allport on the podcast. She is a former professional snowboarder. She runs a digital marketing agency called 93 Agency, where she helps athletes and entrepreneurs build their brands and their businesses. She is from Ontario, Canada, and it took a lot to get to where she is today. So I'm pumped for you all to hear it. I enjoyed unpacking her story. And... Here we go.
1: Uh, Natalie, appreciate you coming on.
2: I appreciate you having me. and I'm excited to dive in.
1: Totally. So here's what I, I love to always get started in. How do you spend your time today and and pretty much what you do and who is Natalie today?
2: Awesome. It's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I run a marketing agency um, and I'm a former pro athlete and turned entrepreneur. I've basically been an entrepreneur most of my life. I come from a very entrepreneurial family. Um, So I started my business actually before I retired from sports. And so my day-to-day now involves helping small business market themselves on social media through the expertise that I built actually marketing myself on social media as an athlete. And um, now, of course, with everything going on in the world, um, I'm at home working from home, which I'm pretty used to. But right now I'm just going all in on creating content to help people transition to working from home, helping my small business owners, whether they're clients of mine, or just people connected with me on social media, just helping them transition over. Um, as you know, everyone's online right now. So just trying so, to create as much content as possible to help others, because, you know, I'm not a science expert, I can't help people with actually what's going on. But I can help people make the transition to working from home easier, uh, going all in on their online business or whatever our new reality is. Um, that's, that's been my goal for the last basically a few weeks.
1: Totally, so you were ahead of the game, and well you know I want to talk about this before we get into a little bit about your story, but creating a brand for yourself before you actually retire, I think that's something huge that athletes should do um in in terms of starting a brand and building a brand for themselves before they actually you know get thirsty, you know, <laughs> dig the well before you get thirsty, right? So what was your thinking behind that? What were you thinking? What made you want to do that?
2: Yeah, so what it all started off with was really just being early when Instagram came around, I know like a lot of my snowboarder friends were on it and I was actually someone growing up that my parents wouldn't let me have a phone for the longest time or be on social media. So I was more of like uh, a witness, I guess just watching and absorbing, which I think is key to before you actually get on these platforms is just seeing like what's succeeding and what's not working. And so then when I went on I decided instead of just like posting me partying around with my friends or you know I was like how can I use social media to actually better whatever I'm doing so at that time being an athlete I didn't come from a lot of money and snowboarding is extremely expensive sport with all the travel you have to do you know coaching to pay and all these things even if you're on the national team it wasn't all funded so um and and being a sport that's not necessarily an amateur sport it is a professional sport where you can have these paid brand sponsorships i was like okay social media is new this is where i need to be to get those brand sponsorships if you know i I might not be the best athlete compared to the other national team athletes but if i can get these brand sponsorships to help me pay and go to these events that's going to make me better because if i can't afford to go train then i i'm not going to get better and then that was something that transitioned into my life with business because some of the sponsors that I marketed um, myself for on social media noticed and asked me to market their businesses the same way. So it was kind of um, almost organic how it came about. I guess I wasn't really thinking about... Okay, like I want to do social media for other businesses. So I need to invest in my brand right now. It was more just knowing that if I have that audience, whatever I want to do, it's going to be able to translate into something. Just having those people who are following my journey is going to be valuable for something. And no matter what it is, I just need to focus on that.
1: And, and that's huge. Something it, it'll be valuable for something after you you're done playing sports. And I think that was that was huge. Yeah. So, so talk to us a little bit about, you know, your early life and, and where you came from and who was Natalie as a kid.
2: Yeah, I I was a, a crazy kid. As my parents like to say, um, my brother was very quiet. <laughs> I was the loud one. Always... Uh running around and being extremely, extremely competitive since day one. And um, my mom comes from Venezuela, actually, and she met my dad in university here in Canada. And uh, my dad is Canadian and locally. And so I've grown up in Vancouver until I was about five years old. And then we moved to New Jersey for two years. And then we moved to Ottawa, where I currently live. And, um, my dad being, um, he wasn't a professional athlete in in any terms, but he played hockey like the rest of the Canadians and football and different sports. He wanted me to be an athlete. And since day one, he said he was like training my balance and different (laughs) things. You know, my mom would laugh because she's the least competitive person. And then he is the opposite. And him and I are very similar in that regard. And so, yeah, so I've just always been an athlete. I think when I was three years old, my parents tell me that I was biking around watching the Olympics. And I said I was going to go to the Olympics. I just didn't know what sport I was going to be for. So um, growing up, I played hockey. And then eventually, I had to make the choice of hockey or snowboarding once I took up snowboarding. And so I chose snowboarding to the surprise and maybe dismay of my family because I was not good. (laughs) I was really bad. I was was not good at all. Um, I was actually always a national, a natural at sports. Most sports came really easy to me, but snowboarding, I was so bad. I was falling down the hill. I was like hitting my head, tumbling. And so they couldn't believe that I just chose the sport. But I think for me, I like, I like when things challenge me. And when people say like, you can't do something, that's, that's what I go for. So having those sports where I was just a natural and it didn't really encourage me to put in the work. Mm. Snowboarding was like, no, I want to be good at this. My friends are going and I can't keep up. And so it challenged me to like go every day and practice. Um, And so that's, that was pretty much my, my childhood was just snowboarding in the backyard playing hockey, being outside. I didn't have any video game systems growing up. Like I was outside free range child running around. We had a family cottage. We'd spend the entire summer with our family at. And um, yeah, pretty much just doing that. And I always had business ideas and little side hustles and things because my dad is an entrepreneur. So he encouraged that pretty early on.
1: So you were just a competitor, basically competitive, (laughs) love challenges, wanted adversity, wanted to take things head on um so how did that lead to the rest of your your snowboarding career because you started off bad you said
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah um I definitely started off really bad and I remember I would go to school and I would tell all the kids in my class that I wanted to be a professional snowboarder and they would laugh at me and um luckily I was pretty hard-headed as a kid and um I'm really glad that you know, my parents would always console me when I'd come home upset that all the boys were teasing me about this, or, you know, I would beat them at the beep test at school or something. And then they would, they would say I was cheating or something. I was just, you know, every, I felt like you, you put yourself out there and people always try to kind of, bring you a little bit down. But I was really lucky to have a family who told me like, this isn't going to matter five, 10 years from now. And so, yeah, so I grew up definitely (laughs) a really big competitor competing with my brother and anything we can make up and with my family and then with all the kids at school. And uh, yeah, some of the boys at school who would tease me, I would see them at the snowboard hill and my whole family skied. And so they would ditch me. (laughs) They would go skiing and I would have to teach myself how to snowboard. And so I wanted to join these guys, but they said I couldn't keep up with them. So one day I just got off the chairlift. I still didn't know how to turn, but I decided, you know what? I'm going to just follow whatever they're doing. So I followed what they're doing and all of a sudden I was turning. And so that was like a big moment for me. And then, um, then there was a competition and it was like, Just those little like jumps and boxes in the terrain park. And I asked my parents if I could join. And I ended up winning. And when I came home, my my dad asked me how many people were in the competition. There was two people. (laughs) So I I beat one person.
1: But it was a small win. It was a small win. That's exactly
2: it. I think I think the key for me was just putting myself out there before I was ready. So I was like, I'm gonna do this. And then I forced myself to do it because I think that's kind of the only way. Otherwise, you're never really going to push yourself. And yeah, from there, I started going to more larger competitions as much as I could get my parents to drive me to them. And I ended up starting to instruct snowboarding to kids at the ski hill. I worked for the ski hill. So we were there all the time. My brother was a ski instructor as well. It's my younger brother. And yes, we spent all day at the Ski Hill. We luckily had a community of parents that would drive us over. And then from there, I started going to bigger competitions. And in 2011, they announced slopestyle snowboarding. So all the jumps and the rails and stuff into the Olympics. And I was in Whistler. I'd saved up for like three years to go to a summer camp in Whistler, a snowboard summer camp. And they, yeah, they announced that it was in the Olympics. Everyone was celebrating. And a month later, I was at home at my cottage. Someone emailed me. They said, did you see that, that the Canadian snowboard team released their roster and you're on the junior national team? And I was like, what? I didn't even apply nothing. And I guess just based on the results I had the past season, they had created this brand new team. And so from there, I got on the junior national team. I had to hire a coach for the first time. And I ended up actually living at my coach's parents' house because they where I had to go was pretty far from where I live. There's no big no big hills near me. And uh, yeah, it just kind of grew progressively from there.
1: So what... Where- what did, what was going through your mind when you made the national team? What did that feel like? Like, what was the emotions?
2: Yeah, it was pretty awesome for me because growing up, like I said, I wanted to go to the Olympics and it was almost like I had kind of not quit that, but. In a way, when I chose to switch to snowboarding, what the discipline of snowboarding I was doing wasn't in the Olympics. So my goal would have been it kind of changed to being like X Games and all those events. And then, um, yeah, then once it got announced in the Olympics, I got really excited because now it was kind of like my whole dream coming together. And then, yeah, then getting on the national team, it just validated all the work that I had done, because, you know, coming from where I am, there's not a lot of other competitive snowboarders, there's no big ski resorts or hills. And so I, it was kind of a whole new thing, you know, people go and they go and play hockey, and that's pretty much it. So it was really exciting for me to just see where I had came from and kind of disbelief that I'm up there with, you know, athletes from out west and BC and things like that.
1: And so that was the first time you actually got a coach. So you had had you didn't even have any coaching no. to, until you got <laughs> to that level. So that that is crazy. That is crazy. So take me through that. At, once you get a coach and probably fine tune some things and different things like that, um, what happens from there? As, as you yeah. get the coach and you make the the finally make this team that you've been looking for forever.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So the unfortunate part about the junior national team was, and especially just the early years of the national team, was there was no kind of like head coach that we could just work with. So we actually had to privately hire a coach, and it was really expensive. So I was really lucky that my grandparents had saved for my university, and they realized that this has been my lifelong dream. And they told me that I could put some of that money towards my coaching that first season. But to put into perspective, it only lasted one season. So um Um, yeah, I've definitely hustled a lot of different jobs and things like that and make things work for the the upcoming seasons after that. But um, yeah, so I put it in and I'm actually moved down to just south of Toronto and um, to a different ski hill where we we kind of interviewed different coaches as with my family. We found a coach whose parents said that they would let me live there um, for like a cheap fee every day. And they were awesome, super nice. They were actually uh, school teachers. So just awesome people to live with and be around. And I had people who would pick me up and drive me every day to the to the ski hill. But the, the biggest thing for me when I got a coach was actually that whole first season, my coach redid everything. I don't think I learned any new tricks. It was just completely learning how to snowboard again he would take me aside and actually teach me how to turn better and just the basics basics mm. and um that yeah looking back like i know it was frustrating for me at the time because i just want to progress and like i want to learn this new trick that i'm seeing everyone doing but i actually had to take a step back to be able to push myself further because i would have just got injured or if i continued riding the way i was and looking back now that translates a lot a lot into my success because if you're able to step back and just work on the foundations, you can go a lot further than if you're just constantly pushing, pushing and perhaps burning out eventually.
1: Totally. So you had to take a step back and then consistently build up instead of just going from zero to hero. Yeah. Yeah. And as
2: a 17 year old kid, that's really tough to take.
1: Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So you take, so you had some challenges along the way. What, what were some challenges that you faced? Like, during your your athletic um journey that you felt kind of shape who you are now
2: yeah well one definitely was that i didn't come from a, a family of a lot of money like the, a lot of the kids that were on my team um whether they were on national team level or just like local riders They they definitely had a lot more money than I did. You know, their parents were paying for their flights and things. And my parents are so supportive, but they always told me if I want something, I have to personally work for it because Mm. otherwise I might not value it. And so, um, yeah, I had to pay for a lot of the events that I wanted to go to. I actually graduated high school semester early so that I could go and get a job to pay for my upcoming events. So that was the year before I made the junior national team um so that was definitely something that i had to overcome and so my my whole thing was you know all these kids are training full-time they would go to australia in the summer during australia's winter and i couldn't afford that so it was my whole thing was okay i need to get in the gym like that's what i can control i can do i need to work on this um and so that's been definitely a big challenge the other challenge especially in snowboarding is injuries that's that's just an unfortunate part of the game totally. and um actually the year that i made the junior national team the result that helped me get onto the team was uh, a competition that I did a few weeks after I broke my tailbone. Mm. So that was really tough because I actually had flown out west, broke my tailbone, did a competition the day after, had a fly home, and it was so uncomfortable. Trying to sit down was like the most painful thing. For two years, it actually lingered on. And uh, so then actually having to do this competition a few weeks later was just a big mental... Task to overcome because it was like, so excruciating.
1: <laughs> so walk me through that. So you 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 broke your tailbone, and then now you're doing now you're performing in your dream type of competition with a broken tailbone.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: kind of, if you could paint that picture, what did what did that feel like? What was going through your head during that particular time?
2: Well, one of the cool things about snowboarding is when the adrenaline hits, you don't feel much anymore. And that's been something I've noticed because now I I compete in CrossFit a little bit and you have a hurt shoulder, you feel it because you're doing these strength movements. Right. But in, when you're like flying through the air and you say you have a hurt hip, you land like in a squat, you don't notice the hurt hip. Right. Like your body just reacts and it's in survival mode. Like you're your adrenaline is so high that you're just trying to not die (laughs) I guess you could say so I yeah I think once you can get past the mental barrier during like the training and during you know when you're just standing at the top of the run once you drop in every injury that you have everything else it's kind of out of your head like you're just so present in the moment that you don't feel those
1: things so basically being just present like not really worrying about all the the distractions and you know outside stuff. You're kind of just focused on the routine or what you have to get done. It's basically kind of what got you through that.
2: Yeah. It's funny because a few years ago, I read the book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And Mm. um, he mentioned in it that you know some people get into presence and into mindfulness and into the moment through action sports. And he didn't suggest it as the best way, but he was just saying that that's a way that actually people get into this presence and the power of now because it forces you to because it's like life or death in in the end like you if you fall you're going to be badly injured and so you're really forced to be right in the moment for example you know someone who just finds their freedom and they're calm by riding a motorcycle or something like that i think it's the same thing with snowboarding or any action sport athlete it teaches you to be present um but definitely after when you don't have that adrenaline rush you have to teach yourself how to do it without it
1: (laughs) right 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 totally so I love that. I mean, you 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 kind of faced some highs, some lows, and then my thing, my main thing with you is that you had to do everything on your own. Whether it was paying for competitions, teaching yourself how to kind of snowboard on your own, you didn't get a coach until you actually made the actually, you know, the junior national team. What what do you think made you do that? Because I think a lot of people will make excuses of. Oh, my parents won't pay for me, so I won't do this. Or I don't have a coach, so it's no need to even practice. Uh, what made you? What made you keep going? Like, I think a lot of people have excuses that I you know. I agree. That's yeah. impressive.
2: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, I, I part of it, I think, is just it's just how I've been raised. Maybe. Um, I, I think I've always had that self drive since I was young, and I know my parents looking back when you know they they reminisce on memories and things. They always tell me that just something that I always had, like I was always, whatever goal I had, I would do it. I remember I would want to go to the ski hill. And my parents said we had all these chores to do, I would make a calendar for everyone in the house, what we had to do so that we could go, like say night skiing or snowboarding that night, because I wanted to go like whatever I wanted to do. I would just work so hard to make it happen. And I think just growing up, It was part of how I was raised was that because I didn't have, you know, all the money and my parents didn't say yes to everything I wanted, it just taught me that that I had to work at it, you know, versus if I was raised differently and I got everything I wanted and all of a sudden it was taken away and I had to do stuff myself, perhaps it wouldn't be the same. So I do think a lot of it is how you're raised, but it's also just how how you look at things. I think, you know, for example, someone's listening to this and if they could take my story and think about, oh, like maybe I was raised differently where I got these things given to me. But if I just focus on, no, I can't make these excuses, then you can build that habit over time.
1: Totally. Small. And it was small things and then it continued to build up until now to the point where, like you said, you built a brand for yourself to get sponsors. And then now, you know, you've been able to... Cultivate that relationship and keep it going even now. So you've been you've been doing like your own thing. And it's just crazy to see that a lot of people, you know, kind of make excuses in terms of if they don't have everything they need to actually do the action, they just won't do it at all. Right.
2: Yeah. And you know, what's actually really interesting is our coaches would say that some of the, the best riders in Canada would come out of like Quebec and Ontario, because we didn't have those big ski hills that the West Coast did. We learned how to to ride in any condition so some of the kids who came out of like the west coast we'd go to a competition and it would be icy or like not good conditions and yeah they might have a lot of excuses or they'd be scared not to ride or they wouldn't take advantage of the training days even if it was raining or whatever but for us we're like this is better than what we usually ride in so we're just making the best of whatever we got because it's still better than what we're used to we're and so that. that's definitely yeah that's that's just a way that i think just your environment and how you were raised affects affects your future success. I think a lot of people who have had the struggles early on in life end up succeeding uh, further because they've had to overcome those naturally, like without even thinking about it.
1: So they continue to do it. So take us, walk us through now, um, kind of like your po- your post-athletic journey now. Um, yeah. You know, what would you say translated over? How are you kind of using what you learned as an athlete, as a self-starter, a, a hustler um, into what you do now and, and how you live your life?
2: Yeah, so definitely always just trying to be competitive. I, I had a great conversation with someone last week about another fellow athlete, and we were just chatting and talking about life after sports and just saying how that competitive mindset translates to business so well, because there is a a way where you're just trying to you're, you're trying to win, like in business, if you, you're you're trying to win the same way. um, It's a little bit different because of course in sports, like you win and someone else loses. The cool thing about business is like, everyone can kind of win. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, you know, you have direct competitors and things like that in your business, but as especially in my industry um, and especially in marketing, there's so many marketers, but we can all win because we all have our own little niches of who we serve and what we do best. And so I, th- I think that's been a big takeaway is just that winning mindset, but also just the work ethic and the time management, all the things that you learn as an athlete, like as an athlete, you invest in your career for like decades before it could pay off mm-hmm. in-, in business. People wanted to pay off the next hour. I just worked on this project for 30 minutes and now it should go viral or this should. And people don't realize like as an athlete, you just keep putting in the work, keep putting in the work to hope that someday you make it. And like in my story, I didn't make the Olympics. I had all these injuries and I had to eventually retire. And So I never had that like game day that happened. I mean, I had those, you know, little competition, not little, but major competitions, you know, each weekend or whatever, but you're putting in all that work behind the scenes when no one's watching to eventually have it pay off when you get into the limelight. And it's the same way in business, but the business owners that just focus on, hey, I want this to work right now. The minute I do it, it's just so hard to win that way.
1: Totally. So having that investment mentality, almost like where... It's delayed, a delayed gratification where you're yeah. constantly putting in work. You're putting in the internal work of how you grow as a person. And then all of a sudden the external results grow uh, exponentially. So I think that's huge. And I think I've seen that in you so far, just with your journey and your background, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I know you played basketball, so I'm sure you have totally. similar, like I'm, if you grew up playing basketball and then um, making it to the next level, like you you spent probably, I don't know 15 years at least or whatever, playing basketball, whatever level, just to get to that final stage or the level that you did get it to. But, you know, people in business, the average business is out of business within like, what, six years, I think. And um, in sports, like you've, no one is a professional by six years.
1: No, no, they don't realize, they don't realize that it takes, you know, it could take 10 years to really get to where you want to go. And so I think that, like you said, being a competitor where you want to now everybody can win, but being a competitor where you don't look at other people, you know?
2: Yeah, that's exactly and, like I have my lane.
1: <laughs> yeah. And when you when you look at other people, you want it to happen quicker than what it should happen. And it's just like, hey, you know, you can overestimate what you do in one year, but you underestimate what you can do in 10 years, you know?
2: Yeah, and I, I
1: when I heard that quote, I was like, yeah, you know, that's so true. You know, when I, when I look back on my journey, I never thought I would be where I am now 10 years ago.
2: That's exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, and that's the coolest thing. When you look back 10 years and you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. Like I, that's my, that's what motivates me because if in 10 years from now, I look back at where I am now and I'm at the same place, I'm not going to be happy. Like right. I, if, but if in t- I, I, I just strive. And 10 years from now, I look back, and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I'm here, this next level. And right now I'm thinking of that when I look back 10 years from like back. So if I can just keep going like that, I think like life is going to be pretty good. (laughs)
1: Totally. Totally. So tell me this, what what do you feel like your mission is moving forward? I mean, the next 10 years, next decade, we're in 2020 now, you know, what's kind of your vision for yourself, your business, personal life, where, where do you see yourself?
2: yeah so I think for me like when I retired from sports it was pretty difficult and so I actually dove into competing in CrossFit and last year I did some pretty big competitions around the world and now then I hurt my shoulder and so this last year I've been really focused on the business and not that I haven't been for the last six years that it's been running but I've also been managing you know training for multiple hours a day and things like this so right so it's been exciting for me to see the progress that it's taken in this last year just from having my full focus and attention on it and um Um, Yeah, so over the last six years, I've been able to work with a lot of business owners one on one. And it's been, you know, maybe I can have max a dozen business owners that I work with at one time. So my goal now is just to keep increasing my impact. So I'm launching new stuff like courses, and uh, different programs so I can help more people like 1000s of people rather than just only be able to work one-on-one. I want to give people the tools that they can do it themselves instead of only needing to hire, for example, my agency or another agency to do it all for them. I want to empower people of how to make their marketing decisions and things like that. And And now I'm looking at how do I give back to the athletes and entrepreneurs who have been in the same position I was 5, 10 years ago and help them speed up the process so they don't make as many mistakes as I did yeah. and get to, to where I am now and further than, than I am faster. And so, yeah, I'm I'm helping. I'm launching some new stuff that I've been working on like crazy now that we have all this time and and time at home to record stuff. Um, Yeah. So helping athletes get sponsorships the same way I did, how to actually reach out to sponsors, how to market themselves on social media. And then the same thing for entrepreneurs, how to market themselves and their businesses on social media. So all around the same concepts of what got me to where I am, which was knowing how to market myself, knowing how to market these other businesses and helping people do the same for themselves.
1: Totally. So where can people find you? Um, in terms of follow you, where can they see anything about you, whether it's podcasts, information on social media, where can they find you and follow you?
2: Yeah, so I have a website, natalieallport.com, natalieallpor tcom <laughs> And um, yeah, I blog and different things there. I, I have weekly YouTube videos then I repurpose into a blog and as well as a podcast. And then my podcast is called The All In Podcast and in general I just share different stories usually it's me ranting and it talks about different things about entrepreneurship athletes mindset a lot a lot of the things into mindset and just lifestyle optimization and so I have a lot of stuff over there and then on social media I'm at Natalie Allport and I'm pretty active on Instagram so that's usually where people find me
1: okay totally I will put all that in make sure I put all that in the footnotes and uh, definitely appreciate you coming on. Uh, can't wait to see what you continue to do because you are a hustler for sure. So, uh, <laughs> so definitely appreciate you coming on and, uh, you know, stay safe and, and keep going.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Josh. I really appreciate me being able to share my story and, and learning a little bit more about you as well.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. Our brand design and strategy is by Tessa at fivefootstudio.com. You can also find her on Instagram at Five Foot Studio. Go ahead and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And please give us feedback. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your thoughts. And most importantly, keep playing in